0: Psalm 34, 1-20 I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be in my mouth. I praise the Lord. Let the suffering listen and rejoice. Magnify the Lord with me. Together let us lift his name up high. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to God will shine. Their faces are never ashamed. This suffering person cried out, the Lord listened and saved him from every trouble. On every side, the Lord's messenger protects those who honor God, and he delivers them. Taste and see how good the Lord is. The one who takes refuge in him is truly happy. You who are the Lord's holy ones, honor him, because those who, don't, those who honor him don't lack a thing. Even strong young lions go without and get hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, children, listen to me. Let me teach you how to honor the Lord. Do you love life? Do you relish the chance to enjoy good things? Then you must keep your tongue from evil and keep your lips from speaking lies. Turn away from evil, do good, seek peace, and go after it. The Lord's eyes watch the righteous. His ears listen to their cries for help. But the Lord's face is set against those who do evil to eliminate even the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry out, the Lord listens. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous have many problems, but the Lord delivers them from everyone. He protects all their bones. Not even one will be broken. The word of the Lord.
1: Resonate is a community that loves like Jesus, and we want you to experience that with us together. So I want to encourage you to tune into this online broadcast each and every week. There are ways that you can support our ministry, and so first, follow our Instagram page and like our Facebook page to get all the upcoming information of the events or things that we have planned in the future. You can also listen to this broadcast and make comments underneath if you wish, and you can financially support our ministry through our website, resonatelife.org, under the Give tab. Well, today we're continuing our Advent series. And I'm just going to start out by saying we know that life in general is a journey. You don't have to be a Christian to understand that life is a journey, it's just being human. We want, as human beings, our life to matter, we want it to go somewhere. We don't necessarily want our life to wander aimlessly through through jobs and through friendships and relationships. We definitely want a pattern, we want a destination, and we want meaning. We want our life to mean something, especially to the people around us that we love the most. Well, today we're talking about a journey. A short one, though, and that is the journey to Christmas. And this journey is just a short journey of our lives that means something. It matters in the Christian story. And we're on the second Sunday of Advent, and today we're talking about peace, peacemaking, and how to be a reconciler, a minister of reconciliation. And we're talking through Psalm 34. So if you have that, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm 34 and follow along with me. This psalm informs our life and what to do with certain aspects of our life. Now, I know that our culture and our society basically is in trouble. It's been in trouble for a very, very long time. And in the last couple of years, it seems like trouble has mounted. We've seen lots of injustices. We've witnessed and endured violence and such things, racism and inequality of all kinds. I once was talking to a Latina American and how racism impacts her life. People treat her differently because of the color of her skin. She shuts down, basically, and it stuns her every time, kind of catches her off off guard. Some people think that this behavior is not real, like racism is not a real thing. It is real, and people endure different things in different ways. You might not be experiencing it in your life in such ways or directed towards you and your person, but just because we don't experience it doesn't mean that it's not happening, it's very real, and it's active in the amount, it's very, uh, the amount of hate and prejudice we see in the world is mounting. So we see that as, as violence. We see that as injustice and inequality in our, in our culture. In the last couple of years, people have lost their homes. People have been displaced. The poor have gotten poorer, and people are hurting because of the tremendous loss, the amount of loss in our country, even death. I've been giving you statistics about the church and how people are abandoning the church and even the faith. And that's a true reality. People in the last 20 years have been giving up. So something that is America's dirty little secret is 42 million people in our nation are food insecure. People go to bed hungry and do not have enough to eat. That includes 13 million children. In the last 20 years, there's been a lot of suffering, especially since the Twin Towers and 9-11, acts of terrorism, hunger, natural disasters, violence, war. These things have hit us personally in our homes and in our world, our nation and our world at magnitude. So this is just a list of all the cultural disruptions that can create large amounts of disruptive Lack of peace in our lives. It creates all kinds of fear in our life. So, how does Psalm 34 help us in this journey? Well, I would say that this little psalm addresses our approach to suffering, gives us a realignment about suffering and how we are to be in this world regardless of suffering. It sets us up to receive the Christ child at Christmas to identify the challenging times and to look forward to the eternal healing that Jesus will bring. So David uses these words, troubled, brokenhearted, crushed, and defeated. So this reminds us that no matter how successful, strong, and happy we are, the psalm reminds us that there will be trouble, that even in verse 10, even strong young lions go without and get hungry. So none of us are immune to the list of suffering that I gave. None of us are immune to the list of suffering that, and the descriptive words that David gives. We are not immune to trouble. Something is going to happen to us eventually. Relationships will go south. People will die. We will lose something. And David says that because of these things, he was filled with a natural response, like I just said, fear all the disruption in our life, even days that are good sometimes, we are fearful because of what could happen, because of what we did experience or what we have experienced over a long period of time in our life has generated a foundational response of fear. It is the nature of human nature, actually, to be fearful to fight or flight, right? We have that nature inside of us. And God tells us regardless of that nature, even though we want to, to fight or to, to, to fear, we need to find a perspective. We need to enter into an idea of peace making. Now that, that kind of strength goes beyond my human understanding. And and just the, the magnitude of the power of forgiveness and peacemaking and reconciliation, that goes beyond my understanding as well. So David gives this like little secret. He gives this formula. And we have to understand something in our lives. If you don't understand the destructive nature of fear, you're not gonna understand how to step out of the destructive nature of fear. And so there are destructive natures of fear in our life. We have different. You're different than I am. I'm different than the next person. We all have different fears in our life, caused by different events, life events that have built up. Some of us have similar, um, similar fears over the same things. A lot of our fears are different. You might be very fearful of financial. Uh, security or insecurity. I might be fearful of, of people or relationships or abandonment and isolation. You might be afraid of somebody hurting you. I might be afraid of losing something. So we all have different fears. All fear in our life is destructive. There is a, It's real and it's normal, yet it is destructive. We all have them. We all get afraid to a certain degree. We just have to learn to navigate through them. Otherwise, fear will paralyze us. It will take the joy out of life. We will experience grief with no peace through it. We will experience an ongoing grief in our life, which will create long-term challenges and mental things in our life as well. So we must understand the destructive nature of fear. Move through it, learn to navigate it, and to learn to be productive even though we have suffering in life that could create fear, could create destructive things in our life. So there needs to be an exchange that happens. I need to replace the destructive fear. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be afraid of anything. right? That, that, that doesn't work. The, the theology of resistance, where I just resist something without an exchange, Well, I resist something and we'll just adopt that something again the next day. The power of resistance is very difficult. So destructive fear needs to be replaced with something that the Bible calls redemption, calls redemptive fear of the Lord, where we have a redemptive respect, where God overwhelms us to the point that life does not overwhelm us. So David says that he is going to teach us in this psalm the fear of God. And this is a respect of God and that God has for us as well, that it's a learned experience. It's a relationship that we can have with our Creator. So the fear of God is a learned aspect. Even though the fear of, of life or the fear of culture or society or what can happen because of sin and just dis- disruption and destruction, that's kind of a natural fear. The fear of God is a learned exercise that we must journey and pilgrimage through. So we must exchange our earthly fear for the fear of God. And I want you to look at these two things. Navigate through. Journey with me and define these for your life. Look at your own fears and what and what has defined you, the fears that have defined you in, in our lives. Yours are different than mine again. And so if we don't exchange, then fear will begin to define us for the rest of our lives. So a deepening relationship with God, we can be overwhelmed with the fear of God versus the fear of death, loss, and trial, and suffering in our culture and our society. So there's a reality to destructive fear. In the story of David, we see that he's a shepherd. And God comes along and handpicks him as the next king of Israel. And the only problem we see in this story is there's already a king. If you go back to Samuel, the books of Samuel, you'll see that there is a king named Saul. And Saul was not keen on being replaced by some young shepherd boy, David. So Saul becomes obsessed with David, wants to kill him through this story. And David ends up in this town called Goth. And Goth is the hometown of Goliath. So already killing Goliath, he thought he could hide out there. And they they basically wanted to kill him too. And so in the Psalm and at this point, David is drowning in fear that we see in verse 4, and he prays, and he doesn't pray to necessarily deliver me from Saul or deliver me from these people or deliver me from suffering. That's That's not what David is praying. He's trying to show us that through this prayer that we need not the circumstances to necessarily change. We, we want them to change eventually. But what needs to change first is what's happening on the inside. That our fear is what needs to change and begin to exchange. So in verse four, it says, I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me, not from a person, not from a situation, but He delivered me from all my fears. From all my fears. So the word that David uses here in the Hebrew, this word means, We're confronted with something that basically is beyond our scope of understanding or ability. We can't handle what's being thrown at us, which creates an immense amount of fear beyond what we've learned, beyond our skill set, beyond our abilities, beyond what our mind can handle. Basically, it's an overwhelming experience, an overwhelming superior experiences in our life fills us with this emotion or this response of fear. None of us are immune to this. Like I said before, something is always out there that's beyond our ability to handle and we're, that, we're that, that, that young like lion that basically becomes a small little lamb animal like in these situations. We're weakens with fear. We become unproductive with fear. We stall out. We basically go through a mental paralyzation through, through fear. So we need to learn to deal with fear, mitigate fear, navigate through fear, and handle fear Because otherwise, it's going to grow so large inside of us that we're basically, we could turn phobic, we could turn unproductive, we could turn complacent in our lives. So David says that there's one way to deal with fear. You can't change your circumstances, but you definitely can change your perspective. Ernest Becker in The Denial of Death says this, I think that taking life seriously means such, something such as this, that whatever man does to this planet has to be done in the lived truth of the terror of creation, of the grotesque, of the rubble of panic underneath everything. So I think there's a reality there, that we have to live life even though we might be handed some panic. We have to do things and be parents and adults and workers and friends and people, human beings, even though life many times is grotesque. We need to be able to walk forward even though that there's rubble that we might have to climb over. And we have to be able to live in a manner that fear does not control our lives in the terror of creation. So we have to realize first that there's things that are going to go bump in the night, right? You're not in control of everything and even though you're the first one up and the last one to bed right things happen maybe your life is just planned out and you have a journal and you're walking through your task lists and you're able to conquer life and seize the day and you're able to be the most productive person that you know if you don't monitor fear fear will eventually even control the most successful even control the most organized even control those that have their life down to clockwork the most the highest level of ceo the president. president, whoever it is, fear will control even the most powerful if it is not monitored. So these are the things that that I have learned yet are very difficult to apply. It takes a lifetime to apply monitoring fear, navigating through fear, not letting fear control us uh, in life. It takes a lifetime journey in order to do such things. Before I was a father, I didn't have certain fears. Now that I'm a father and years into being a dad, I fear all kinds of things. My daughter is 12 years old. I fear a lot of things, right? So my my daughter's being taken is one of those things that I didn't fear before. But now just in fatherhood, I think about being in crowds of people and at the carnivals or parades or wherever we are at where there's lots of people that space gets a little insecure. What happens if my youngest just runs off? And so that puts a lump in me, the what-if insecurity. And of course, all the horror films that I've watched and all the, all the news spots that I've watched you know, on my feeds and such come rushing in, and I get fearful. So what does my hand do? It goes on her shoulder, and I hold her a little closer right? in certain insecure situations. So David is saying that we're not God. And we will not be able to control all circumstances and outcomes in our life. And so we need to learn to navigate fear. So this is an atheist author, and their name is Luke Ferry. They wrote a very interesting book called A Brief History of Thought. And it said in order to live a functioning life, to live a life that is worth something, that is to conquer the fear Of the irreversible. There are things that will happen in life. Yeah, you have your normal insecurities and such, but there are things in life that are completely irreversible. Conquering the fear of the irreversible will create a meaningful life. So an atheist author says this, and the answer is actually in the Bible of how to do this with the Psalm of David. So we need that answer. And that brings us to the contrapoint that David has in the Psalm thirty-four. That there's a lion out there that will, that will, that will just take our fears. And David tells this: Come, children, listen to me. Let me teach you how to honor or fear the Lord. Let me teach you how to honor the Lord. So, doing this exchange of fearing life and fearing circumstances and fearing loss and fearing all kinds of insecurities, whatever that is for you, exchange that to the worship and honor and the fear of God. So basically, David is telling us that we must take the destructive fear and replace it with the fear of God, and that is redemptive. That is overwhelmingly redemptive, replacing destructive fear with redemptive fear of God. So when we place ourselves in the presence of a living god of the living god that god is we are so overwhelmed by god instead of the world that we will be, we will begin this process of exchange. So when we take our relationship with Jesus seriously and are immersed in our relationship with Jesus seriously the overwhelming nature of god will begin to control my fear will begin to monitor my response to my to my fears the reverence then is restored the reverence in my life then is is redeemed when you think about the things that you experienced 20 years ago oh, that's not that big of a deal anymore right it takes a lifetime for things to not be a big deal and god is looking at us saying i'm a bigger deal than anything that could happen in your life. So the poverty that we feel in life, exchange that for the humility that you feel in the presence of God. That will begin to feed you even though you feel poverty in society. So the glory of God, basically David is saying the glory of God will never destroy you, but always lift you up. So I've stood in front of large art pieces before and and very old art pieces like like in Amsterdam, some of the museums in, in Italy or some of the museums all over the world in Europe and even in South America and such. And you, you stand before incredible art pieces that, that are overwhelming. It, it puts you in a state of like awe when you look at certain, especially religious paintings, Christian religious paintings that, that depict a, a scene that you've always read in the Bible that you know about in the Bible and it's now in visual form in front of you. You are just taken back and overwhelmed. One of those pieces that is just incredibly overwhelming to me is the Pieta in the Vatican in Rome. And Michelangelo carved the Pieta out of out of stone, out of marble. And there is an incredible overwhelming nature to the Pieta. And the, the the detail, the beauty of it, the perfection of it. I mean, some people, you will stand and, and you can't touch it and you have to be away from it. You're like looking onward into it. You actually just stand there and some people just begin to cry in front of such a beautiful piece of art. You're in the presence of beauty, You're in the presence of something that has taken time to create, long period of time to create, and has lasted lifetimes. You're you're standing in front of an ancient piece of art, and you're literally overwhelmed by the presence of marble. So think about the presence of God, and how overwhelming the actual presence of God would be, and what that would do to our fears. It would put earthly fear in a very good perspective. If we stood before the glory of God, the glory of fear, right, would not be overwhelming, meaning the the sh- the shine of fear would no longer burn us. So how do you put this into practice? Well, I think that there's something very very tangible that we can do because most of our fears I have to be honest, most of our fears have to do with relationships if we were honest. We have fears of Yes. Financial insecurity. Yes. We have fears of different losses. Yes. But ultimately, fear of conflict is a continual thing. Fear of separation of something or someone is a fear. Fear and insecurity of whether or not someone likes you. When you say something, am I approved? If you articulate your opinion, is that accepted? All of those things that we do in life. The, the fear of people or the fear of relationships is very, very real. So we need to practice something that I believe is an important component in our life to overcome such things. So, so being in the presence of God means that I will practice certain spiritual disciplines. And one of those spiritual disciplines that I believe is really important is what we are ministers of. We're to be ministers of reconciliation. That is a spiritual practice. So when we are, are initiators of intentional peacemaking, when we are intentionally making peace with others or helping others to make peace, that is a profound spiritual experience. And when you engage in such things and participate in such things, think about, think about the weights that are lifted off of you when you know for sure that somebody affirms your relationship with them i was just in a meeting the other day with with the coffee shop that we own and we rent a building and one of the one of the the uh the executive team leaders that managed this building spoke authoritatively right in me affirmed who we were as people and as a company but just spoke so much affirmation and goodness right into my mind and into my heart. When I listened to that and I experienced that, it put me at peace with my relationship with this executive team. It put me at peace because that person was very intentional, spiritual in practice about affirmation and edification coming out of his mouth. That's an alternate practice. That's not something that we think of as a spiritual practice. And a lot of our Christian practices we are, are self-realization type things, like we worship or we have spiritual disciplines or, or physical provisions, let's say, like tithing or feeding the houseless or providing meals for, our, for those that are sick or in need, right? So those are, those are self-realization or physical pr- provisions, when we have destructive practices in our lives, we erode our ability to have relationships. And God is telling us here that we need to replace destructive behavior with redemptive behavior, and that's a spiritual practice. That we exchange destructive practices for constructive spiritual practices. So this psalm tells us, turn from evil and do good. So we turn from that which is bad and destructive and doing goodness. We we pursue goodness. And one of those ideas that David gives here in the psalm is we seek peace and pursue it. So turning from evil and doing good, actually we will seek peace and pursue peace in our life. So the constructive practice is to seek and pursue peace. This requires the act of reconciliation. This requires intentional peacemaking. So during this Advent season, in the season of waiting, This is the time that we can seek and pursue peace. Before the coming of the Lord, let's get our relationships right, right? That's what this season of waiting, why are we waiting? We need to get out and begin this, this, this season with making sure that we are taking steps in relationships that we have that might be unreconciled, that might be divided, that we might have hurt somebody or done something that has created a sense of separation. I find that I find it very interesting that usually human beings don't do anything until there's a deadline in front of us, right? And if I said by Christmas your relationships need to be headed down some kind of mending, right? You need to go to those that you've offended or they've offended you, and you need to offer the forgiveness and be the initiator of the apology and the forgiveness. So the first question that you might have is, well, why would I do such a thing? Like, why am I doing that now? Why Why bring this up? Why is peace a part of the Advent? Why is peacemaking a part of the Advent? Well, I know that Jesus came and made peace with the whole world, eternity, made peace for all of eternity and put Satan under his feet, right? We, we know that idea, that very spiritual idea of peace. But a simple response, why would I do, why would I act out in peacemaking and reconciliation now in the Advent? And, and there's just a simple response. It makes our gifts more pure, See, when you have unreconciled relationships and you're hurt and you're dealing with destructive behaviors and destructive relationships and responses and fears in our life, We give from a partial heart. We give from a partial intention. We give from a partial self. But when we're healed, we have reconciled relationships. When we feel whole, when we feel good about who we are and who we know and our relationships are moving the right direction, what comes from us is more pure of heart. What comes from us is more wholeness. The gift comes out of such healing. The gift comes out of such reconciliation. The gift comes out of what Jesus did for us, we're doing for others. What Jesus did as he reconciled the whole world, we're engaged in that sense of sacrifice and reconciliation and blood spill that Jesus blood spilled for us that we are blood spilling and, 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 and we're sacrificing for, for others in reconciliation. So I want us to and encourage us to seek intentional peace during this time because then therefore hurt people hurt people right when i begin to heal healing comes from healed healing joy comes from so we're moving towards joy and love joy and love comes from a healed soul a healed heart and in luke 2 this is a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And so, this is why the Christ child came not only to bring peace to the entire world for eternal salvation, but to bring and to bring an end, like I said, to Satan's stronghold, but also give us the opportunity to bring peace to the now. Bring peace to the situation, the culture and the society and your friendships and your family and your brothers and sisters and sons and daughters, your aunts and uncles and your cousins and nephews and all the nieces and all the people that you have in your life and co-workers that you would bring peace in the now to those relationships. And that is the peace that we bring the earth because the Christ child is, is coming. Because we are in the advent. And what does that do? That which comes from us. That which comes out of us. That which is given in our generosity to others is given in a pure of heart, is given in hope, is given in love, and is given in joy, and is given in the waiting, and is given in Christ. And I hope and I pray that you just take this moment in this Advent to, to begin the just the this the simple steps. Maybe it's a letter. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a text. Maybe it's an email. Maybe it's something that you can do to reach out, to just build one-step bridge during this season. They begin the process of reconciliation, that you become the minister of reconciliation, the minister of intentional peacemaking. And I pray you take that opportunity during this time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, Lord, the reason you came is to bring peace, to bring love, to bring joy, and to bring hope into this world. Lord, thank you for the Advent season that during this time, Lord, we can model peace, that we can give peace to others. Lord, goodwill to others. Lord, that they would know you one day, that we would turn people towards you, turn their feet towards you because we love them in such ways as we talked about today. Lord, thank you for the gift of peace. Help us to be ministers of reconciliation, of intentional peacemaking. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.